You're listening to This Week in Sports. Here's your host, The Pody. I'm back. What's going on, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, people of all ages, creeds, religions, cultures, you name it. I'm your host, as always, The Pody. It is Friday, February 19th, 2021, and I am back. Been on hiatus for, I think, the last two weeks, and I think I've only done one episode in the last, like, three weeks. So um, I do apologize about that, but I'm back better than ever. I'm excited to be here, and I can't wait to get this show on the road. Just want to give you guys a little bit of background and explain myself as to why I have been absent for the past few weeks. And just a reminder, this is a milestone episode number 130. So yes, we are episode 130, been going strong for a couple of years now. So that's always cool when I hit those milestone numbers. But yes, I do want to go over, recap what's going on. So Let's take this back all the way to the beginning of the month when my Tampa Bay Bucks won the Super Bowl. That's right. The team that I bet $25 on March 18th of last year, the day after Tom Brady signed with the Bucks, I threw $25 on the Bucks to win the Super Bowl at plus 3,000 boosted odds, won me. $750. That's right. Cha-ching. Um, and then not only that, a last minute addition to my office box pool, I threw 10 bucks on, did two boxes, and normally call me crazy. Normally, when you pick boxes for a Super Bowl p- uh, pool, you don't pick in the same column. Well, I picked one right below the first one. So I picked my one and then there was an empty spot right below it. So I chose that spot. Interesting choice by myself. If I got, uh, I could have had a really bad number in that, in that one column and then it would have screwed, it would have screwed me, but no, instead I got really good numbers of six and one. So I had Tampa Bay with the one and the, uh, chiefs with the six. So 21 to six halftime score hit me another $125. So I ended up on the night I made all, when all was said and done, because I had Travis Kelsey to score a touchdown, which he did not. When all was said and done, $875 I walked away with. So, you know, not too shabby, pretty cool there. And then um, the other thing I wanted to say was a lot of my prop picks. So the last episode I did, I believe, was talking about the Super Bowl and the prop picks and everything that I thought was going to hit. 
I hit on the, I didn't go over heads or tails for the coin flip, but um, if you guys know me when I play Madden and all that stuff, I, I choose heads um, every single time. So, you know, you might say, oh, well, you know, you never told us that you would have said heads, but so I'm not going to take credit for that. But again, I always take heads. So that's, you know, no big deal. I did say under in terms of the national anthem, should have bet that everything was telling me under. And I was just a little nervous about that because those things are a toss up, but I hit on that. And then a lot of the other bets I hit on, I talked about Tampa Bay's defense and I figured that this could have went either one of two ways. And, you know, history has a tendency to repeat itself. And when you have a really, really good defense against a premier offense, the defense tends to win out. And that's what happened in this one. Of course, the whole situation with Britt Reed, Andy Reed's son getting in that car accident and putting that little five-year-old girl in a coma, that loomed large over that organization. They were not able to score a single touchdown. Um, and side note, a couple nights ago, I'm laying in bed. Adam Schefter tweeted out that that little girl did, in fact, wake up. They put that on the GoFundMe page there. So that was awesome, awesome news. And I hope to God she can make a full recovery. And um, because this is just horrible for both sides. Britt Reed, like, you don't want to be the guy that killed a little five-year-old girl. And then, of course, that family, it would be devastation. Um, their world would just come apart at the seams if that little girl died. So yeah, um, that's part of what I wanted to go over. And then also I've been absent because I might've mentioned this last time I was working on an audio book. Uh, my first real first big audio book, you could say it was a doozy. Um, it just got approved by the rights holders. So hopefully within the next month or so, it'll be, uh, available for sale. But it was on herbal medicine and it was four chapters, but it was like 300 pages of torture. There were words that I've never heard before. You know, we're talking herbs and remedies and things of that nature. So we're talking about like, you know, plants and different herb, herbal teas and things of that nature. And I had to look these words up and it just drained my life for the better part of you know, four weeks. And I'm glad it's over with. I'm glad it got through the first stage of approval. And now um, I can get some semblance of my life back. Of course, of course, I am helping my dad coach softball, um, which our season is, you know, about a month away officially, if we could get this snow cleared up, because it just continuously um, seems to be snowing. We're getting hit really, really hard um, this year with that. So now that I got all that good stuff out of the way, explain to you guys where I've been for the last few weeks, boom, we're ready to dive right in and talk some sports because that's what you're here for. You don't care about my day-to-day -day life. I don't really care about that stuff either. So let's, without further ado, dive right in. Okay, let's go and recap the the this past weekend, okay? And we'll start with the Daytona 500 because it was absolutely insane. Um so 
I don't typically care for NASCAR or anything like that, but once in a while I get into it. And I was into it for one reason. My brother bet it. He did a crazy little parlay. He needed a um, guy to win the golf tournament. And also he, he took, um, what's his name, Denny Hamlin to uh, three-peat. And so I was a little bit intrigued by that, but I wasn't really paying attention because the golf was on. We were pretty much watching that and yada, yada, yada. So what ends up happening is there is a huge weather delay, like what, 15 laps into this race. And we're talking like nine hours later is when this, this race started back up again. And so it went into um, Monday morning, just past midnight. That's how long it took. And it was a wild one. So let's recap it. Mike, a guy by the name of Michael McDowell is your official Daytona 500 winner after um, a huge final lap crash. This was not the only crash of the race. Um, there was a huge crash during the final lap, which allowed him to claim victory. This was the 63rd running of the Daytona 500. And yes, like I said, it was shortly after midnight on Monday morning. Got to be one of the longest Daytona 500s too, from start to finish with the delay and all that. Um, yeah. Okay. So the delay was not nine hours, but six hours. Uh, McDowell was in third when this is that final lap crash. Brad Keselowski made contact with leader Joey Logano sending Logano into the grass and Keselowski into the wall, which opened the lane for McDowell to win. This guy, McDowell, had never won in the Cup Series and had 100 to 1 odds to win on Sunday. I think I saw something like BetMGM. They only took like six bets on this guy to win. Like it was, in, or it was insane. And some sports books didn't even have this guy listed as a possible candidate to bet on. Um, where is it? Here's McDowell on his victory. Take a listen. 14th year racing in the Cup Series, Michael. Your first career win. You're a Daytona 500 champion. I just can't believe it. Just, just got to thank God. Uh, so many years just grinding it out, hoping for an opportunity like this. Got to thank Love's Travel Stop, uh, Speedco, uh, Bob Jenkins for giving me this opportunity. Uh, I'm so thankful. Such a great uh, way to get a first victory. Daytona 500, are you kidding me? Oh, man. Just want to uh, say hi to my wife back home. Happy Valentine's Day. I know it's been a tough week. Uh, I just, my kids, I love you guys. I wish they could be here with me to celebrate. Maybe NASCAR will send the plane to bring them down here. But uh, we're the Daytona 500 champions. I cannot believe this. Thank you, Doug Yates, Ford. Uh, we had our Ford partners at the end, and they all crashed. And uh, I just, luckily, I was able to make it through. Just so thankful. God is good. Michael McDowell has been there at the end of so many of these, Mike. And finally, tonight, it was his. Yeah, so what a cool moment for Michael McDowell to get his first ever uh, win in the Cup Series and to do it at Daytona. A little bittersweet, though, of course, because as you heard, his family could not be there, could not be in um, attendance for that, which, you know, it's sad, but we're going through COVID times and it is what it is. Okay, um, 
Chase Elliott, he, he did finish second. You had Austin Dillon finishing in third, Kevin Harvick fourth, and three-time winner and two-time defending champ Denny Hamlin finished in fifth. I tried to tell my brother not to take Hamlin to, to uh, three-peat because I knew just the, the possibility of that w- was monumental. Uh, I mean, the chances of that happening, you could probably get struck by lightning twice before he, he uh, three-peats, um, but he, he went in accordance with one of his uh, buddies who is um, very invested in NASCAR and, and, and seems to know his stuff, but, you know, it was a long shot either way. Um, and interestingly enough, so Hamlin was the favorite, obviously, as a two-time defending champ. He won each of the first two stages of this race of the Daytona 500 which gave him four consecutive stage wins at the event, but he ends up falling short of becoming the first ever to win the Daytona 500 three consecutive times. Now, the other thing that I will say is my brother tried to explain to me Hamlin's strategy, and I'm not, I'm not a big NASCAR guy, so correct me if I'm wrong here. I might be. But his strategy seems to be is that he stays towards the back tries to really avoid anything crazy early on, and then he starts to surge up. So it seems to work because the first two stages, again, as I just said, he was in first, and I watched some of that, and I did see the end of stage two, and I saw him, you know, finish in first there. Uh, you know, that, that's, that's what it takes, but um, unfortunately, he couldn't get the job done right there at the end, but still... Uh, You got to be proud of yourself for that. Four straight stage wins at the Daytona 500. Just incredible. Um, And like I said, it was a six-hour lightning delay uh, for weather, and it happened just 15 laps in, this being one lap after a monster 16-car wreck, which took out the likes of Ryan Newman, Kurt Busch, Martin Truex Jr. The delay started shortly after 3 p.m., and then the race didn't resume until after nine. Um, the win for McDowell was the second largest Daytona 500 upset in the last 20 years. So once again, congrats to Michael McDowell on the Daytona 500 win. Okay, next up, we've got to talk some injury news. Anthony Davis, he strained his right calf against the Nuggets. It happened on a play in which... I believe he went to drive past uh, Nikola Jokic and he stepped on his foot or landed a little awkwardly. He will miss the next four weeks. So the Lakers do want to give him time to fully recover before the playoffs. So he's going to be on the shelf for quite some time. It could be four weeks. It could be longer. We don't know the Lakers post all-star game schedule so far, really. Um, So it's anyone's guess. but. Personally, I'm a little bit shocked and surprised that they let AD play since this was an injury he was already sort of dealing with, this little Achilles slash calf injury. And we all know we saw this with, with, uh, with Kevin Durant. He came back in the finals and was dealing with a calf injury, came back too early and ruptured his Achilles. And then, of course, we don't know if this you know, had similar effects, but Clay Thompson possibly coming back too early from his ACL injury and rupturing his Achilles. So here, 
is what Shaquille O'Neal said about basically exactly what I just explained. This is something he needs to take seriously. Right before I tore my Achilles, I had a calf strain. And, you know, being like Charles and Katie, I wanted to come back and play, shout it up. But when you, but when you worry about your calf, then you, uh, you know, accent something else. So because I was thinking about my calf, I was putting a lot of pressure on my Achilles and it ripped it. So this is something that, you know, he really, really needs to do. Is that when you're in Phoenix or Cleveland <clears throat> or Boston, sir? Uh, it, it was when I had four rings and passion. Oh, there goes. There, yeah, so. there was much more bold. Yeah, and there's Shaq and um, Charles going at it like they always do. Um, but yeah, no, he's absolutely right. And I'm sure if you go back, Kevin Durant would have said the same thing. If he could change the past, he would um, and probably not have played on that. And that's why you're seeing more and more guys be extra cautious um, about these injuries. And that's a good segue to talk about Kevin Durant the man, the myth, the legend himself, he too will be out for a few games while he deals with a mild left hamstring strain. So what? how did this occur? Well, um, last week he was out um, from two weekends ago up through last weekend when he played on Saturday. He finally came back because, of course, we had found out this is now. The, so Kevin Durant had COVID back in March, got through it fine, sat out this year earlier this year because he came in contact with someone that had COVID, so had to sit out a week for COVID protocols. And now for the second time, Durant is having uh, have had having to uh, sit out for COVID because he was in, um, I guess, um, a team personnel member that works for the Brooklyn Nets, drove him to the arena, and Durant was in the car with him without a mask on, and the guy ended up testing positive. So, of course, now Durant had to sit out a week. So he came back um, last Saturday and um, played the entire game against Golden State. So this was his return to Golden State, first game in Golden State since he went to the Nets, okay? And he had, like, 20 points, and, you know, he did okay, and the Nets got a big blowout win, okay? Uh, but um, I was a little bit confused when they announced this on Monday or, or the following day as to, it might've been on Sunday, excuse me, because Durant played the whole game. So I'm saying to myself, what's going on? If Durant played the whole game, how did he hurt himself? Um, so who knows, maybe adrenaline, maybe he woke up the next day and felt sore. Nets being absolutely 100% super cautious with this. And I'm sure he'll be fine, but he'll probably be out, you know, a week or so while he gets things right. But um, they initially said he'd miss two games. But yesterday, <clears throat> excuse me, the Lakers game that marked his third game absent. So it remains to be seen if he's going to play tomorrow. Uh, tomorrow? Do the Nets play tomorrow? Let me double check that if the Nets are playing tomorrow. Um, they're probably playing, they should be playing tomorrow. Um, no, Nets are not playing until, Nets play the Clippers on Sunday. Easy way to find out is to pull up my uh, fan, Yahoo Fantasy Sports, Fantasy Basketball lineup. Let's see. Yeah, Nets don't play till Sunday. Wow. Um, breaking news. The Yankees and Brett Gardner have 
agreed to a $4 million deal. So Brett Gardner will return to the Bronx for his 14th season on a one-year $4 million deal. That's good. Good extra, uh, you know, veteran outfield presence in Guardy. So good to see him back. Um, but back to basketball. So, yeah, we don't know when we'll see Durant. Maybe these extra two days today and tomorrow will be enough to get him back on the court against the Clippers. But if not, the Nets have been more than uh, capable without him. Um, and the Clippers are without Kawhi Leonard as well. So we don't know if Kawhi will be playing on Sunday either because they should have a game. I believe they have a game tonight. Yeah, they have a game tonight versus Utah, who's one of the hottest teams in the NBA, best record in the NBA right now. So we'll see if Kawhi plays tonight or if they're thinking the same way the Nets are thinking is to get him ready for that uh, premier matchup on Sunday. We'll see. But um, speaking of the Nets, like I said, they are doing just fine without Durant. It is a little bit frustrating because the big three of KD, Kyrie, and Harden have only been on the court for like seven games together. And so that's super frustrating. If they want to win a championship, they need to get that chemistry, that flow, and they need to really work together. And so with Durant being out, we're starting to sort of see Kyrie and Harden get the chance to mesh together. It hasn't been super um, great. Um, Like if you really want to nitpick and you're watching, KD and Harden has been a better fit So Kyrie and Harden, it's kind of good that they get this time to work solely together with themselves to get this thing going. But hey, I can't complain. The Nets are on a five-game road winning streak. They're on a crazy West Coast road trip, and they're 5-0 and in those games. And the other night, I had to go to work, so I couldn't, of course, watch the game. And I was absolutely shocked when I woke up against Phoenix, who had won like six straight. And the Nets came all the way back because when I went to bed, it was halftime. They were down 21. The Nets came all the way back. That was in a game without Kyrie Irving dealing with some back tightness, uh, basically just resting him probably. And they came all the way back and they got the job done. So listen to this West Coast trip, okay? Um, Since the uh, Indiana game, which they won, that was the first game they really played good defense, held their opponent under 100 points, got the 10-point win there. They go to Golden State. Um, That was the one game the three of them did play. They beat Golden State by 17, wasn't even really that close. Then they beat Sacramento um, by 11. Again, Sacramento is not a great team. But then they go and they beat Phoenix. They come all the way back, down 21 at half, come back in that game, beat Phoenix 128-124. Harden was masterful in that game with 38 points. And then you saw last night's game. Many people believe this could be an NBA Finals preview. Granted, there was no Anthony Davis, but there was also no Kevin Durant. And you could see how much better the Nets are, the depth that the Nets have without Kevin Durant. They could go. The Nets can still, I truly believe, If one of these uh, big three gets hurt, I still believe the Nets have what it takes to reach the NBA Finals. Now, the Lakers get Anthony Davis back. It's a different story. They won't win an NBA Finals um, 
without, you know, if they were to lose, God forbid, one of these big three, the Nets would probably lose to a Lakers team, maybe even a Clippers team or or possibly Utah. Never want to count Denver out or some of these other teams because the West is way, 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 way more competitive than the East is. Like right now, the Nets are sitting in second place in the East overall, just behind Philly, a game back of Philly with a 19 and 12 record. If you go over to um, the West, 19 and 12, that would put the Nets in about fourth, um, right around where Portland is at 18 and 10. So interestingly enough there, um, Nets had a chance to become the first team in NBA history to hit 20 or more threes in three straight games. But because it was such a blowout in the fourth quarter, they sat, they sat their starters and everybody, and the Nets couldn't get those last three three-pointers. So a little disappointing there. But hey, um, you know, Nets are getting it done. Five straight road wins that are most since 2008. And anytime you can beat a LeBron James-led team, I am super-duper happy. Okay, moving on. Let's recap. Number three, Michigan. They completed their comeback at number 21, Wisconsin, over the weekend in their first game in 23 days. This due to uh, COVID issues within the UM. Um, athletics department, not the basketball team. I believe it was another program. Um, somebody, a student athlete, I believe, tested positive for one of those um, African strains or, or crazy strains of COVID. So they shut down all athletics at Michigan for um, 23 days. So this was their first game back. They overcame a 12-point halftime deficit to beat like I said, number 21, Wisconsin. Final score, 67-59. That was Sunday in Madison. They outscored the Badgers, I believe, 40-20 to 20 in the second half. And then last night, Michigan, um, their second game back since the uh, layoff, they beat my team, Rutgers, uh, 71-64. I'm starting to really, really hate Michigan. Um, we are 0 for lifetime against Michigan. I think 0-15 lifetime against uh, the Michigan Wolverines. And last night, we started off strong, had a nice early lead, and then we just... We, we, the, the problem with Rutgers, they were ranked as high as 11 uh, this year. They're a solid team. They We might finally make the tournament for the first time in my lifetime. They have finally um, an easy schedule the rest of the way, although it's the Big Ten, it's never easy but no ranked teams the rest of the way, starting with uh, Maryland in their next game. But the problem with Rutgers is they're one of the worst shooting teams in the country. They have no three-point shooters, okay? They have zero ability to shoot foul shots, although their last five or six games, they're in the shooting foul shots in the 70s. But overall, they are one of the top 10 worst free-throw shooting teams I've ever seen. I mean, they're one t- they're top 10 in the country but they are also one of the worst I've ever seen. You got a guy like Miles Johnson who goes to the foul line, granted he's a sick, uh he's like a 7 footer center whatever. Um and when he shoots a foul shot, my legs hurt watching him because he stands stiff as a board, doesn't even bend his legs. And just tries like to push the ball to the basket like he's throwing, you know, 
blind, like he's got his eyes covered and he's just blindly throwing darts at a dartboard. It is absolutely pathetic. He's been doing it all season long and probably last year and every other year he's been here since he's a senior. Clearly, either one of two things, Rutgers coaching staff has a horrific shooting coach and needs to fire said person and just hire me um, because this is elementary stuff. You're taught to bend your knees in like first grade. Look at Ray Allen, one of the greatest shooters of all time. Ray Allen, when he shoots a foul shot, he bends his knees, gets nice and low, and then elevates all the way onto his tippy toes when he shoots a foul shot. Miles Johnson is flat-footed, knees are locked, his legs are literally locked, and he just tries to throw it at the board, at the basket. It's pathetic. Um, you've got a guy in Ron Harper Jr. who was shooting out of his mind in the first seven games of the season. He was averaging oh, like 27 points a game and all this good stuff. He's won for his last 21 from three. This is a former NBA champion in Ron Harper Sr. that played with the great Michael Jordan. Okay, so you're talking about an NBA veteran, and his son has a worse shot than I do. And that's a just, that's purely a fact. Okay. Um, and I would, ch- I, I would greatly challenge anyone on Rutgers, um, if you're listening to this, I will outshoot every any and every last one of you's on the Rutgers men's basketball team and I will sure as I will for sure uh outshoot anybody at the foul line but either three point line or foul line it, it, it's it's and I don't say this because I I I've, I've just I'm an egotistical you know egomaniacal you know idiot right I, it's it's pure fact um, I mean, the numbers speak for themselves. They are 340th out of what 350 Division One teams in foul shooting. You have a point guard in Jacob Young who barely shoots 70% from the line. Um, Geo Baker is supposed to be their best player, and he shoots it at like 65% from the free throw line. And the worst part about all of this, guys, is that there's no fans in the building right now. So you're basically playing a glorified scrimmage. There should be no issue with shooting foul shots. Usually in the game, you know, the Cameron crazies, everybody's waving at you and and you get nervous and you miss in a big spot. There's nobody there. There's no distractions. So the fact that they can't shoot is just beyond me. And they're at the division one level and their shooting mechanics are pathetic. Geo Baker Granted, he's like their best scorer and he could shoot and he, he could do all this. I don't care that the, ba- that the ball goes in the basket, but he shoots the ball. He releases the ball on the way down. Who, like, that's not how you shoot. I, I don't care what level you're at. You're not going to be able to play professionally when you can't properly shoot. You don't have proper shooting mechanics. Ron Harper Jr., his father was a pro, and he shoots with his left elbow jutting outward. It, it's pathetic. Uh, you, I, I, I mean, I, I can't even. You have a guy in, in Paul Mulcahy. They, every freaking game, they rave about how this kid averaged a triple-double in high school. and blah. He's terrible. 
He shoots threes from his waist. And the other thing about it is Rutgers, you got guys like Geo Baker catches the ball in the corner wide open, and he's always got a pump fake. The reason they do that and they don't just catch and shoot is because they know they're not going to make it. And when they think about not making it, they're not just going to catch and shoot. And when Ron Harper catches and shoots from the corner, he grazes the side of the backboard because he's terrible. And I don't know what it was that he was shooting so great in the beginning of the season and can't hit the broad side of a barn right now, but Rutgers isn't going anywhere. They play great defense. They have stretches where they can hold Michigan for four minutes without a basket, but then they could only score on one or two out of like six possessions. They make it so difficult on themselves, but I don't want to make this the bash Rutgers show because that's entirely not what it was supposed to be about. Um, This was about Michigan getting the win. They could be not really a dark horse because they're third in the country right now, but a uh, sneaky pick for a lot of people to maybe uh, win it all this year in their bracket. So we'll see. Um, we'll see. And let's stick right there, talk some NCAA basketball a little bit more. And I've got an interesting one for you. Duke freshman Jalen Johnson has opted out and he will enter the NBA. Um, the freshman Obviously, one of the highest uh, recruited players for Coach K, one of the most highly touted prospects in the country, came to Duke for one year. Um, We all knew this was going to be a one and done. We know the deal at this point. Um, Calipari's guys do it. You name it. Arizona's guys do it. Blah, blah, blah. The one and done. Um, So you knew it was going to be a one and done for for Jalen Johnson. What you didn't realize was that he would quit on his team. He apparently cleared out his locker by Monday afternoon and conveyed to the team that he would not be returning. And I'm sorry, but this is highly unacceptable. First of all, who the hell does this guy think he is? He thinks he's that good that he's going to just quit and walk away from his team and walk away from Duke and just say, bye, I'm going to the NBA top 10 lottery picks. See ya. I'm about to be making bank. That's first of all, he's not even having a good season. Duke is going to miss the NCAA tournament for like probably the first time in a gajillion years. Um, and that, let, let's make no mistake, that is the reason that he is quitting, that he's opting out because he's like, you know what? They're not, we're not going to make it. So I should just focus on me because it's all about me and not my teammates. So peace out. And, and to me, That goes back to the culture at Duke, and that goes back to Coach K. Because as respected as Coach K is, I think at his age currently, he's in his, what, mid to late 70s or early 70s, I think he's starting to lose it. I don't think he can resonate with with today's college athlete. I'm just, this, it speaks for itself. And, you know, don't take my word for it. Take Seth Greenberg's word for it, a former Division I a uh, college basketball coach, he said it perfectly. Here's the thing. There's a difference between opting out and quitting. Yeah. See, if you opt out, you don't clear out your locker. Mm-hmm. You see, if you clear out your locker, basically you're quitting on your team because he's part of a group. You can say I'm opting out because I don't feel good about myself. I want to kind of look in the mirror and kind of reevaluate myself. Yeah. That's one thing, but you keep your stuff in your locker room. If you pick up and move and move out, there's a big difference there. 
So basically, he has left his team or he's quit on his team because you're opting out, you're not quitting on your team. You're just saying, you know what, I got to take a step away. I just, things aren't right. Yeah. Now, here's the one question. These kids have such yeah. unrealistic expectations. 100%. All right, that these, when they're not met, all of a sudden, I think there's so much pressure from outside sources and static around these kids that yeah. it becomes overwhelming. And then combine yes. the pan. Yeah, and he's absolutely right. So what he should have done, remain with the team, practice with the team, you go to the games, you sit on the sideline, you cheer on your teammates, and you work on your craft, and you hone it, and you get ready for the NBA draft, but you don't straight up clear out your locker and then go peace out, bye, I was never even a part of this program, I don't care about you guys, see ya. That's not the right way to do it, and it's sad to see that happen in today's day and age on such a respected basketball coaches team in Coach K. All right, let's jump back in to the NBA. few injuries to, to uh, go over. You've got CJ McCollum. He is out at least another two weeks with that broken foot, which he sustained on January 16th against the Hawks. He had his four-week evaluation, and they said he's coming along nicely but they're going to reevaluate in another two weeks or so. My phone's blowing up about Brett Gardner. I already mentioned that. Uh, the Blazers, surprisingly, they are now 10-5 and five without CJ and have now won six straight after uh, a win on Wednesday. And I believe they're back in action tonight. Okay, another injury to go over. D'Angelo Russell. Will uh, has undergone knee surgery and he is out at least four to six weeks. He had arthroscopic surgery on his left knee on Wednesday, I believe. He turns 25 next week, so still very young, should heal up no problem. Missed the last few games with left leg soreness. <laughs> Excuse me, I can't stop hiccuping here. Um, the surgery was to remove a, a loose body from his left knee. It's just such a weird term when they say removing a loose body. Um, it's not an actual person or body inside their knee, but got to find out. I have two friends in med school. Got to text them and ask them what that means. What is a loose body? Okay, before I talk, uh, actually, I don't think I have any more injury news, but I did tell you about... Uh, KD, Anthony Davis, and Kawhi Leonard is also, let's see if he's out tonight or not. He's questionable. He's dealing with some sort of left leg contusion. He's on my fantasy team. So is KD. So I'm struggling without these guys. Um, he's missed the last three games. The injury was considered to be fairly minor. And, you know, the Clippers are being extra cautious with it. Uh, LeBron last night, even though his team lost, he did become the third player to total 35,000 career points. He crossed the threshold with about 47.1 seconds left in the second quarter of the Lakers 109-98 loss to my Nets. It was um, on a free throw that he got there to the 35,000 mark. Um, at 36 years and 50 days old, James is the youngest ever to achieve the feat joining Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, who did it 38 years, 352 days, and the mailman himself, Carl Malone, 39 years, 131 days. LeBron is also the fastest to hit 35,000 points, doing so um, in his 1,295th game. 
Kareem did so in his 1,399th game and Malone in his 1,370th game. And of course, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is the all-time points leader with 38,387. And Malone is second on that list with 36,928. So good chance LeBron could catch, uh, could catch up to those guys because he still looks like a beast at the ripe, tender age of 36 years old. Um, okay, next up, all-star starters were announced last night. Um, of course, no surprise, LeBron and KD were the top vote getters and they were named team captains as well as starters. So let's first go over the West. Joining LeBron James in the starting lineup are Steph, Luka Doncic, Kawhi Leonard, and Jokic. This will be LeBron's 17th all-star nod in 18 seasons elevating him to third all-time behind only Kareem Abdul-Jabbar with 19 and, of course, the late, great Kobe Bryant with 18. So two more years and he'll tie Kareem, three to pass. LeBron has also been named a starter in all 17 of those all-star appearances, which is the most in NBA history. And now for the East starting. Uh, starters, excuse me, I've got some like phlegm buildup in my throat and it's like, I can't breathe and I want to like swallow it down, but I just can't get it down. Um, you have in the East, starting with Kevin Durant, you have his running mate, Kyrie Irving. You have Bradley Beal. This will be his first start. Uh, Giannis and Joel Embiid. As far as the all-star reserves, those guys will be announced on Tuesday. Um, the league also did announce yesterday that for the second straight year, they will use the target score format, which is also known as the Elam ending, where there's a target score. It's like 140 or something, and they have to get to that target. Uh, that was fun last year. Uh, the game is set for March 7th in Atlanta. The NBA will be holding the skills challenge and three-point contest before the All-Star game. So usually that's the night before. Um, the slam dunk contest, oddly enough, will take place at halftime. And I know a lot of players are not happy, not excited for this All-Star game. They don't want to go, but there's, you know, there's money to be made. And quite frankly, this is what the Players Association agreed to. Okay, let's dive right in and talk some Major League Baseball. Um, as of today, all pitchers and catchers for the 30 Major League Baseball teams have officially reported to spring training. Teams will conduct their full squad workouts beginning either Monday or Tuesday, which means infielders, outfielders, utility players, etc., We'll all be reporting in the next couple of days. The big news this week, obviously, Fernando Tatis Jr. and the Padres 
agreeing to a whopping 14-year, $340 million extension. Unbelievable. Here's Jeff Passan with more. Tatis is the closest thing in the sport to appointment viewing. He's a video game creator player with the settings cranked to 99. A spectacular catch by Tatis. You are a cartoon character, kid. Six foot four, 200 pounds. His daddy used to hit him a long way. You're going to see a lot of those out of this young man. Power to all fields and fast like a funny car. One of the greatest players I have ever seen in a San Diego Padre uniform. So what is so crazy about this is that Tatis is just 22 years old and he has played in, I think, 140 Major League Baseball games. He hasn't even played a full season yet. In two years, though, he's hitting 301 with 39 home runs and 98 RBIs. In 2020, he finished fourth in MVP voting and won a Silver Slugger Award. Also helped the Padres to a wild card series win over the St. Louis Cardinals before they eventually lost to the World Series champion Los Angeles Dodgers. So here's my thoughts on this, right? Manny Machado got $300 million, and now you're going to pay Tatis $340 million. That's a lot of moolah for these two guys. And I hope it works out for them. A lot of people think they're the second best team behind the Dodgers in the National League. Um, so I, it, this is interesting. Um, I know this is what these teams do nowadays. Of course, you've got the likes of, you know, the Patrick Mahomes deal where he got half a billion. You've got the deals with Bryce Harper. Um, you've got deals like um, Mike Trout to stay in Los Angeles for 400 something million. Just shocking that this is what they paid him this early on in his career. Um, so now you're going to get these up and coming superstar 20 year old kids that are demanding 330, 340, 350 million. Look at the Braves. Just two years ago, they paid their young superstar, Ronald Acuna, 100 million over eight years. That's a bargain at compared to this. Wow. And then funny, funny story. In 13 years from now, or 14 years when, when this contract is up, the Mets will be in the final year of paying Bobby Bonilla. Still, still they'll be paying Bobby Bonilla. How ridiculous is that? So we all know every July, whatever it is, is Bobby Bonilla Day. So I think it's in July. But yeah, just absolutely crazy, crazy, crazy. That is a hell of a lot of money. So yeah, Tatis will be staying in San Diego for probably his entire career. Next up, speaking of baseball, Tim Tebow has officially retired from professional ball. He played parts of three seasons in the Mets organization, advancing as high as AAA in 2019. I think the Mets made a big mistake with this. I think it was in 2018 when they knew they were out of the playoff race 
in September when the rosters uh, rosters expand, they could have easily brought Tebow up just for the fanfare of it, just to sell tickets. They would have sold out left and right if they brought Tebow up and let him play some outfield. Um, I don't think it would have hurt anybody. And I think that was a big blunder. And since then, you know, Tebow has um, had an injury riddled couple of seasons, career batting average of 223, which go ask Joey Gallo. Nobody cares about a batting average that low anymore. 18 home runs, 107 RBIs across 287 games. And of course, this is definitely not the last that we have heard of Tim Tebow. He works for, um, I think the SEC network, um, a subsidiary, I think of, I think that's a subsidiary of like ESPN. He works on college football games. He has a charity that helps, um, special needs children, um, or teenagers attend the prom, like all different stuff he does. So, so, uh, yeah, not the last, certainly not the last we've heard of Tim Tebow. I'm going to mix it up a little bit. Talk Australian open, on uh, women's side. I don't care about the men right now. Women are more intriguing. You have Naomi Osaka. She defeated Serena the other night. Um, it wasn't close. It was six, three, six, four straight sets to advance to the final. Um, Serena po- did post a heartfelt message on, um, Instagram afterwards, thanking her fans. Listen, the future for Serena, 23 time grand slam champ. It- it's still a little bit unknown. You watch her. She's lost a step. She had a kid. She's looking pretty thick. Um, although good for her, she's still pretty damn good that she made it to the semis for God's sakes. I mean, just a beast of an athlete. Um, but if anybody could win again, it is her. But who knows? She's starting to settle into motherhood. This might be um, her swan song here. Um, As for who uh, Osaka will play in the final, that will be American Jennifer Brady, who defeated Carolina Muchova, 6-4, 3-6, 6-4 in the semis. This being after Muchova knocked off number one seeded Ash Barty, So I'm sure the Australians were very much rooting for Brady because, of course, Ash Barty is Australian. So now they're out of the running to win their own tournament. Um, It will be Brady's first ever Grand Slam final. And look, why not keep the tradition alive? Tom Brady won the Super Bowl. Why can't um, a woman with the last name Brady win the Australian Open? So I will certainly be rooting for her. That match will take place I believe 3.30 Eastern time tomorrow, uh, Saturday, the 20th. Um, These two did match up one other time last year in the U.S. Open semifinals in which Osaka won that match. So um, you know Brady is going to be watching film and studying that that U.S. Open um, match that she lost. So yeah, should be fun. Um, some other interesting news out of the U S open was that Jessica Pegula or Pagula. I'm not really sure how you pronounce that name. She is the 26 year old daughter of Terry and Kim Pegula. She upset the fifth seeded, uh, Alina Svitolina to advance to the quarterfinals. Um, the kicker is she is heiress to about two and a half, three, or even more billion dollars. She is the daughter of Bill, the Bill's owners. 
Um, her parents own the Buffalo Bills. So, hey, um, that's a pretty cool story there. And then um, she would end up, uh, she did fall to fellow American and finalist Jennifer Brady. So if you're going to lose to somebody, at least she lost to a uh, finalist. And uh, yeah, so I'm kind of actually looking forward to that tomorrow night. So should be interesting to see what happens. Um, so yeah, that is tomorrow, 3.30 Eastern, probably on ESPN. Okay, and then finally, the kicker of the show, saving the best for last. Yesterday, we got some um, breaking, breaking news that the bell has dropped. The shoe has fallen. Um, went the bell reference for Philly, but Carson Wentz officially traded to the Colts for two draft picks. Um, it's for Carson. It's a match made in heaven. He gets to link back up with Frank Reich, his former quarterbacks coach when he had his best year, when they won a Super Bowl. Um, so I think it's a slam dunk for the Colts. They didn't give up too much. They do have to eat that contract, but here's Adam Schefter with more on that. Adam Schefter, we have our answer. The man who broke the news along with Mort joins us now live on SportsCenter. Adam, what can you tell us about how we got to this point? How did the deal get done? Well, Sage, the Colts and the Eagles were in discussions for the last three weeks. I think really from the day after Jared Goff got traded from Los Angeles to Detroit and Matthew Stafford went from Detroit to Los Angeles. The talks heated up at that moment and really have been going on for 19 straight days. And they were at the brink of the deal the whole time, but it was only until today that the Eagles finally signed off on the agreement that will send a third round pick this year to Philadelphia and a conditional second round pick next year that could become a first round pick in return to the Eagles from the Colts. Each side gets what it wants, right? Carson Wentz wanted out of Philadelphia, did not want to be back there. The Colts wanted Carson Wentz to work with Frank Reich, their head coach, who was his former offensive coordinator in Philadelphia. Frank Reich is a Carson Wentz believer and the biggest proponent of this trade. And that's why the trade gets done, because Frank Reich believes that he could salvage Carson. Carson wanted out of Philadelphia. The Eagles recognized they were better off moving on and getting the picks in return. And that's exactly what unfolded here with the Eagles now obviously having to eat some dead cat money, but not having to pay the roster bonus that's due next month of about $10 million. So what I want to say about this is what's interesting is the Eagles' new head coach that they just hired, first-time head coach and Nick Sirianni, he spent the last three years under Frank Reich in Indianapolis. So I have to imagine that when they brought Sirianni in, they stipulated that we are in the process of trying to trade Carson Wentz. You basically have no say in this. We're going to move forward with Jalen Hurts, maybe draft a quarterback. I don't know. But I have to believe that Sirianni would not have wanted to get rid of Carson if he didn't have to. Because I'm sorry, but Jalen Hurts is no NFL quarterback. I'm sorry. He, he's not. And I know a lot of, I have friends that are Eagles fans that are a little unhappy about this trade to say the least. And they agree that 
Jalen Hurts is not a quarterback. He played at Alabama and he played at Oklahoma, two of the best offenses, best teams, best coaches in the country. It's very easy to, to, to play quarterback um, at Alabama when you have four or five offensive linemen and two or three of them are getting drafted in, in the first round every year. Um, and then he did, of course, lose his job to Tua. That's why he transferred over to Oklahoma, had a really good Heisman-type season, was a finalist there for Oklahoma. But when I watch Jalen Hurts play, to me, he's like a, he's a running back playing quarterback. He has an okay arm. He could throw it. And yes, he had one like good game, if you want to call it that, against the Saints when they were just, I don't know, I guess they just didn't prepare uh, or watch film that week. Um, and, and he basically dominated them. But overall, I don't even think that Jalen Hurts will, can, can have a season or two like RG3 did. I don't even think he's as good as RG3. So I really just don't understand this at all. I always thought that from all the reports and all the, you know, the whispering was that it was Carson Wentz and Doug Peterson that didn't like each other. Like I saw another report today that they went weeks on end without speaking to one another. So you fired Doug Peterson. You would have thought that you would have just kept Carson Wentz. But I guess he was so slighted by the organization and they were just so over it that they wanted to move on. But to move, move on to what? Jalen Hurts is not the answer. So if you're going to now shell out even more draft, uh, uh, you know, trade up in this draft and, and try to take another quarterback, uh, let's see, how, how well did that work for you last time when you traded an arm and a leg up to number two to take Carson Wentz? But hey, be my guest. If you want to jump in to that fire and you want to make a trade with my New York Jets for that number two pick, gladly. Because as a Jets fan, I want nothing more than to trade out of that number two pick and keep Sam Darnold. New regime, new coach, new philosophy. I want to keep Sam Darnold and see where this thing goes for at least one more season. That's my thoughts on that. So, wow, Eagles, Eagles, Eagles. I do not know your identity. I don't know what you're trying to do. I don't know where you go from here, but prepare to be dead last in the NFC East next year and possibly the year after until they can find themselves a quarterback. Okay, and then last but not least, well, on this date is going to have to wait for a second because I just want to jump on here and see, oh, you've got the Genesis um, Invitational at Riviera in uh, Pacific Palisades, California going on right now through the weekend. So that's something to watch. Some guy, oh my God, some guy named uh, Burns is your leader by five strokes. Interestingly enough. Um, wow. Um, another guy, another couple guys at the top. I don't recognize their names. Fitzpatrick's up there. Um, Spieth is up there at six. Six under, he's six back. Dustin Johnson, six under. Um, so yeah, Kepka's uh, five under. Kepka's four under. So these guys have got work to do. Um, but if you know anything about golf, it's not over till it's over. They could have a bad third round tomorrow, and then it's up for grabs or choke on Sunday. Um, what else? Um, let me see here. 
Just want to double check. Oh, um, speaking of the Eagles, I forgot about this. They released uh, Deshaun Jackson today. I don't think that's any real big surprise. Every year, Deshaun Jackson has injuries, so I, I don't know what he's got left in the tank anymore. Um, talked about Brett Gardner, the Panthers. They released uh, three players to increase their cap space to $28.5 million. This is interesting because the Panthers are in play for a quarterback. Could it be Deshaun Watson? Um, yeah, they cleared $19.9 million in salary cap this week, releasing four players, including Pro Bowl defensive tackle Quan Short, uh, Short on Wednesday and defensive end Stephen Weatherly, safety Trey Boston, and punter Michael Pallardy. Pallardy? Um, Interesting, interesting, interesting. Doubles Carolina's cap space, which was around $8.5 million. Um, the Panthers cleared $8.66 mil with the release of short $5.906 million with Weatherly, $3.55 mil with Boston, and $1.787 million with uh, Pilardi. Interesting, interesting, interesting. Um, oh, NCAA men's and women's tournaments. Uh, March Madness, they announced they will have limited attendance, I believe 25% capacity. So that is exciting. Up to 25% capacity with physical distancing will be permitted at all rounds, including the final four. A decision will be made in conjunction with the state, with state and local health authorities in Indiana. The 25% will include all participants, staff and family members as well. So yeah, good luck getting tickets to this. If it's including players, staff members, um, workers at the stadiums, like we're talking vendors and stuff too, I'm sure hot dog vendors, you know, working concessions, there's going to be like five tickets available and they're going to go for thousands of dollars, I'm sure. So, uh, yeah, I, that's a pipe dream. If you want to get into there, um, let's see. Um, okay. So I talked about pitchers and catchers reporting for major league baseball. There have been 13 out of 4,336 tests for COVID-19 were positive during intake for Major League Baseball spring training. That is a rate of 0.3%. So that's great numbers. Um, the commissioner's office said Friday that nine positive samples involved players and four were staff members. Positive tests included 11 of the 30 teams. Okay, so I'm not worried about that. Let's get the show on the road. I can't wait for a full 162-game season. None of this, you know, 60 games where the Dodgers are winning the World Series. It, 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 you know, there should be an asterisk next to that. Some people say, oh, but it's harder to win. And No, BS. It's not harder to win. Um, so 162 games, let's get it. Hopefully the Yankees can stay healthy and get it done this year. With that being said, guys, let's... Let's wrap this thing up with on this date in sports. So talked about how um, Tatis Jr. got his $340 million 14-year uh, deal. Well, on this date in 2019, so not too long ago, uh, one year ago, Manny Machado signed with the San Diego Padres for $300 million. And at that time, it was the biggest free agent contract in the history of American sports. It has since been uh, surpassed, of course, but uh, yeah, crazy that you have two three hundred million dollar players on one team, and it's not 
it's not even the Yankees or the Dodgers or any of these other teams. It's the San Diego Padres. Interesting. But with that being said, guys, I'm going to wrap it up here just over an hour um, on today's episode, but I'm glad to be back. Uh, Let me know. Hit me up on Twitter, IG, wherever. Let me know the sound quality of this podcast because I jumped back on recording back in Logic. Um, I couldn't get my settings really hammered in with Logic with my new Rode Procaster microphone. So I think I got it squared away this time, figured out what to do, um, got my nice EQ and um, whatnot going on. So I'm really curious. I'm going to listen to this back with my um, AirPods on my phone, um, which is how most people listen to podcasts. So I'm going to, I'm really curious to see how it sounds. So, you know, uh, drop me a comment or message or DM or whatever. And I'm, let me know what the sound quality is like, if it's much better, worse, et cetera. It better not be worse because I spent a lot of time today um, working on this. But with that being said, guys, you've got golf on this weekend. You've got NBA tonight, tomorrow, throughout the weekend, et cetera. Uh, U.S. Open, men's and women's should be on. I know I didn't talk much about the men, but you guys get the idea. Stay safe. Oh, anybody in Texas that's out there, I've got um, a friend in Texas. I hope you guys are doing all right. Stay safe. Um, I saw an insane uh, 18-wheeler just destroy um, a pickup truck in, in a just huge pileup where six people died. Listen, we here on the East Coast, Jersey, where I am, we know how to drive in snow. Over there, they have no clue. It's like Atlanta a couple of years ago. You guys got like half an inch of snow and it was, it, it was just stop dead traffic on these interstates. So stay safe out there. Stay warm. Okay. Um, and we will get through this. So with that being said, guys, I'm the Pody signing off. I'll see you guys next week.